on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. The University of Oklahoma is ready to spend some cash to get ready for the SEC. We talk some transfer portal wins for the Sooners, and Kyle Boone from CBS Sports joins us to preview the PGA Championship at Southern Hills in Tulsa. And of course, we finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, May 16th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And the Beats and Bites Festival starts this month. Night Ranger and Starship will be performing May 28th. It's $5 general admission, and kids under 12 get in free. There'll be a ton of food trucks, and there'll be all kinds of things for the kiddos to do, including face painting and an inflatable obstacle course. To buy tickets, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Sunday night, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Ted, how we doing, man? I can't complain. A fantastic weekend. The weather's been excellent. It's been hot, but excellent. Dude, I feel great. Well, that is good. Other yep. than an AT&T <laughs> modem going out for the second time in like a month at my house, I'm doing great playing a road game tonight, <laughs> playing a road game, but trying, trying to check my stress at the door and enjoy the pod with you, buddy. Hey, you know what? Sometimes best performances come on the road, big atmosphere on the road, everything against you, you step up and you hit a home run. That's let's, what's about to happen. Let's hope that's what's about to happen. Okay. There's, there's a lot going on with OU football right now, but I figured we start here and, and we've got our man, Kyle Boone also to talk some PGA championship at Southern Hills. So that we, we got a lot going on in this episode, but I don't know whether it called the sec of the sec of that probably said it sounds yeah. better. The SEC-ification. Yes, the SEC-ification of the University of Oklahoma. I think we got a we got a very good glimpse into that over the last couple of days. So as as things stand, 
right now, right? OU won't be in the SEC until the 2025 season. And we've talked a lot about the timeline for OU going to the Southeastern Conference and how that transition not happening until 2025 could be rather advantageous for Brent Venables and the football program for numerous reasons, but most notably get more time to get that culture fully established. You continue to enhance the level of talent on the roster. And then one thing that you and I have mentioned several times would be that this would allow the university to get started on some plans for facility upgrades. And yeah, with, with what we saw come out in the May agenda for the OU Board of Regents meeting, it, it ain't cheap, man. Sheesh. It is not cheap. And Ted, you, you know more about this stuff than I do. Real estate, building things. That is, that is part of your knowledge base. It's going to be expensive. Yeah, well, I mean, you can talk to anyone that's, that's in construction. Uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, if you priced out something construction-wise and then priced it out now, things have changed dramatically. So that's part of the reason why it's, it's so expensive, but yeah, man, it's, it's not easy because, you know, one of the problems is whenever you do these upgrades, it's a time situation, right? You, you know, you play like your last game and then the wrecking balls like swinging into the locker room as the last guy turns the light out on his way out of there whenever they're trying to get things done for the next calendar year to be ready for, you know, for things to get ready right into the next year. So you got a massive amount of people there and time is money. So yeah, these, these things are not easy, requires um, a lot of planning and a lot of boots on the ground to get it done, man. Yeah. And as far as, as far as football upgrades, right. Uh, When you, when you look at that agenda, expected budget for the upgrades for Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium comes with the old price tag of $300 million. Woo. That is, that's a big number. And there's, you, you clearly can't do everything that they want to do at once, which kind of leads me to wonder what needs to get done first. Right. If you're projecting, hey, $300 million, we want to add seating. We want to add more handrails. We want to, you know, it upgrade the lighting, like all these different things. There's it. We may, we may be biased here. Got to redo the press box first. Right. Right. Come on. Well, it's been a longstanding joke on my radio show that. I've said that they should leave the press box the way it is forever. We take pride in having the worst press box in the entire big 12 and, um, and making it, making it difficult for everyone that comes in there to work it and to, uh, to cover games, but there is no doubt it's in need of an upgrade. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do because it's less about the press box. I think, and more about the suites 
right? Because that's typically what happens is when you redo the press box, it usually comes with some really nice suites that are, you know, just, just top of the line and, and it's needed, you know, our, our stadium and all of our facilities are beautiful and the press boxes is dated. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, I I'm interested to see what they do with it. You know, I've seen some mock-ups from kind of a long time ago before they did the South end zone. It had a different looking press box on there. I'm guessing that's maybe what they're going to do with it, but I'm not exactly sure, but my guess is it's going to include some really nice upgraded suites because the ones that are up there right now are really dated. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what they end up trying to tackle first, right? I I'd be interested in, in knowing kind of the, the order that the upgrades will be made in, but yeah, three hundred million dollars, and and it is so. It's probably important to remind everyone that from from the way that I understand it, this is something that the school is required to do every year, basically to inform the proper people of their long term plans and how much those plans will cost. So this isn't something that just like came out of the blue. This is something that that they do every year, but with with that that transition to the SEC being in the relatively near future you start seeing some of these price tags and you're like okay yeah i i think they get what it what it's going to take so that's just for the stadium maybe the maybe the most interesting thing is is what was on there about the bud wilkinson and wagner redevelopment now that's for those of you that don't know, that's right across Jenkins, right across from the stadium there on what the Northeast corner of Lindsay and Jenkins. And that is, that's a place you spend a lot of time at as a player. Now you and I, Ted, we lived in the butt, right? That is what, yep. that is where we called home. We, we didn't have Headington hall like these guys, but it seems like they've got some big plans for that space right there, uh, $75 million worth, in fact. And it sounds like the student athlete academic services could be over there, add some offices for all these coaches and personnel people. They've hired varsity O facilities, maybe an area for former players to go before and after games. Oh my gosh, could you imagine that? But it seems it seems like they want to get a lot done with that space right there. And that is, that's going to be an important, important recruiting tool. They're going to need to do that. Right. So I am, I'm very interested to see what that ends up looking like. I know that's to me, that is, that one's kind of the most intriguing because you look at what's there right now and you think $75 million, uh, I know, I know we've got some severe inflation going, but $75 million goes a long way. So I, I don't know exactly what the plans are for that, what the mock-up looks like. My guess is they're tearing it down to the ground and rebuilding it, and it's probably going to be something really, really, really cool. So, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds awesome. They, they, there's some much-needed space right there 
And that's really some of the best like football real estate that you could ask for that corner, uh, frankly, underutilized right now for, for what they need currently. Yeah. So I am, I'm not entirely sure what that master plan looks like. I, I could see kind of that area east of the stadium. I could see OU football wanting to own that entire, that entire portion of the campus. The only problem is there's a track there. Now, maybe they move that track at some point. I, I don't know, but I, I think some, that, it'd be a perfect place for some good actual 100 yard length football fields to, uh, to practice on, which they currently do not have other than the indoor and the stadium. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice to have some, you know, a couple right there next to all this new area that you're developing with, uh, with Wagner and the bud. It's almost like there may be another phase of yeah. this thing. We'll see. I, that $75 million price tag could grow. I just a feeling, just <laughs> I think a feeling. So. Other so. stuff that was in there, exciting stuff, right? Softball stadium, $42 million. Uh, L. Dale Mitchell Park for OU baseball, getting $30 million for upgrades, $12 million for gymnastics, $5 million for track and field, $8 million for tennis, $7 million for golf upgrades, and $6 million for Lloyd Noble. I'm not very good at math, but that all adds up to a lot of money. It does. It does. Um, big plans. And I, he, this is, this is the reality. I think that I don't, I don't know. Complacent's not really the right word, but I think in the big 12, we were, we were able to get away with having subpar facilities and, and being able to, to make it just fine. But whenever you go and you compare OU's facilities to what their new conference uh, competition is going to look like, it ain't close. We are, we are, you know, in the bottom tier pretty much across the board compared to the other SEC schools whenever you look at everything combined. and. You know, credit to these these programs for able for being able to to get it done. You know, with some of those uh, deficiencies, but it's needed. It really is. Softball needs to be the premier in the country. Baseball needs to be uh, the baseball facilities in the SEC are awesome, and we need to, to get up and level that playing field because you know our baseball teams turned it around. They're playing really good ball right now. And, you know, that's – we talk about football a lot. The SEC is a huge baseball conference. And uh, I know that, that football is always going to butter the bread around here. But uh, if you want to compete at all, you have to have the same level of, of facilities as the rest of your competition, at least. Yeah, and, I mean, not only with baseball, clearly – and people have been talking, that, talking about that for a long time right? Having to improve what OU baseball has got going on. And I saw, once again, my, my OU baseball knowledge, it all comes from Toby Rowland and Eddie Radosevich. That's where I get all of my OU baseball information from. 
and I was informed that they have won their fourth consecutive Big 12 series after they beat West Virginia this weekend. So way to go, Skip Johnson. Got things rolling. Got a chance in the Big 12. I was reading about it. Got to saw the highlights. Look good. Uniforms look good. Let's get these guys a better facility. And you're right. SEC baseball is a massive deal, but so is SEC softball. And Patty Gasol is SEC track. Yes. Track is huge. So you are stepping into a different world there in softball. So you, you see that price tag for the softball stadium. Like you want it to be the premier facility, not only the stadium, but the practice facility, right? Where these players are going to spend the majority of their time. That's also what you want to be top notch. So yeah, man, it, it seems like OU's got some really, really big plans and it's, it's not surprising, but just seeing the dollar figures attached to it, it, it really opens your eyes. You're like, damn, okay. Yeah. That's (laughs) going to take a lot of cash, man. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know what the timetable is on all of this stuff because you know, the one thing that you got to remember is obviously there's a new excitement and energy and that helps donations and helps attendance and helps revenue. Um, But also moving to that conference is also it's It comes with a much bigger yearly uh, paycheck, right? So that helps a lot whenever it comes to a lot of these facilities and gosh, I don't know what the number is exactly, but, they're probably going to be knocking on the neighborhood of doubling what their yearly payout is in the big 12, right? As long as they, and I don't know if they get a full share right away, how that works. I know sometimes you don't, but you know, eventually it's going to double get close to double what they make now. I, I I do not know the details of that, but I cannot imagine Joe Castiglione and Chris Del Conte getting in a room and saying, yeah, no, no, we don't want a full share. Right there. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, being, That's typically if you're like a, you know, we're West Virginia. Uh, yeah. We're bringing you on because like we need to not because you're a massive, you know, revenue producing school. So yeah. 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 Okay. Let's talk about some of the portal success that the Sooners have had lately. Man, I am, I'm pretty excited about this guy's upside. Javian, Javion, Javian. I was saying Javian, but I don't Javian know. Javian is how the announcer said it when he was playing at Missouri because I looked up the highlights. So we're going with Javian. Sorry if that's not right, Javian. Javian Hester. Remember, this is a Tulsa guy, right? He's transferring in from Missouri. Got a commitment from him last week. Now, you look at the stats, right? Not a ton of production at Missouri in his two years there. Didn't play in 2020 battled injuries last season. But when you look at the physical makeup, that's what, that's what I think OU fans should be excited about the physical makeup six, three, probably getting ended up being 200 pounds once Jerry Schmidt gets done with them. But the thing about him, he's got some speed, man. And this is the pin tweet on his Twitter. Actually early last year, he caught a slant for a 65 yard touchdown against, you know, a, it was like Southeastern Missouri or something took it 65 yards. And on that play, he hit 22.1 miles per hour. That is 
absolutely flying with the ball in your hand on the field. So with how much Jeff Levy not only likes throwing slants, but likes pushing the ball down the field, you look at a guy like Hester who's got that type of speed, even though when you look at the size and the speed, like the production, that's what that's what maybe concerns you, like a guy that big and that fast. Why isn't he making more plays for Missouri? But he seems like another guy that can be a deep threat for this team. And I think the offensive staff is, is counting on them getting the most out of his physical ability. Yeah. Well, it, whenever you're 6'3 and knocking on 200 pounds and you're running like he can run, and you're as athletic as he is, you typically find your way on the field. And, you know, you look at Missouri and not a lot of impressive stats there. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, whenever you're you're pretty much outmanned every time you go out there, you, you know, you can't win the line of scrimmage, you can't run the football, makes it difficult to pass, you become one-dimensional, and everyone's statistics struggle. So uh, you get a guy like that, that has those athletic gifts with an offensive line that can win the line of scrimmage. You can run the ball effectively. There's, there's a lot of stats out there to be made. And, you know, I, I just, we'll just have to see how the battle unfolds. You know, there's, there's a lot of really good athleticism in that wide receiver position group right now. We'll see uh, who's left when the cream rises to the top. Yeah. But, Give me all the six three guys that can hit twenty two miles no per doubt. hour. No yeah. doubt. I'll take I'll take a chance on a guy with that physical ability. And you know, credit to Kale Gundy for for getting this guy locked in. And I think a lot of credit goes to Ladamian Washington, right? One of the assistants yep. there who's working with the wide receivers is the guy that was on staff at Missouri last year. So uh, I think it's safe to assume that his relationship with Hester played played a significant role in him looking at OU and ultimately choosing OU, you know, that, and of course what Britt Venables and Jeff Levy are preaching. So I, I am excited now. I, I would say cautiously optimistic because the size and the speed and the production, they don't match up. But if, if OU can get them right, then that could that could end up being a one of one of like the sneaky best signings yeah. from the transfer portal. So we'll we'll see, but you certainly you certainly get excited when you see those types of uh those types of heights, weights in 22 miles per hour. That's fast, man. I mean, that is yep. moving. Yep, that's super fast. And that it's starting to be a pretty crowded room. There's a lot of athletes in there. There's a Good. lot of different sizes and shapes and Portal windows closed, Ted. Yep. I, I'm just what I'm excited about is the level of competition in there. You know, I who knows who the the top four or five guys are going to be. I think there's there's plenty of options from some established guys, from some transfer guys, from some young guys that were early arrivals. I mean, it's a really good mix right now. If you're a guy like Theo Weiss, right? Struggled to stay healthy last year. Struggled to stay on the field. Now has shown, has shown some glimpses in the past. Remember when he was Rattler's go-to third third down guy. All of a sudden, Hester's coming in with that size and speed. 
it once again, it's about raising the level of competition in that room, man. And a guy shows up looking like that that can run like that. Yeah, that whole wide receiver room is going, okay, I better, (laughs) I better sharpen the old tools. Okay. I that's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you want if you're OU's coaching staff. Okay. I have I've gone back and forth how to handle this. And before before we dive face first into general booty, what did I say? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Continue. We are doomed if this kid ever gets in the game. I mean, I am. Oh, my gosh. But before we dive face first into general booty, I do think it is important to point out what Dylan Gabriel did for his high school, right? We've talked a lot about QB two and the competition for the backup quarterback spot, but QB one gave $8,000 to his high school back in Hawaii. And that'll jumpstart a five year apparel partnership, outfitting partnership. I'm not sure the best way to phrase it with Mililani high school, Nike and BTN sports. He even showed up. He had the big check that like the happy Gilmore check. It was awesome. <laughs> Oh, but that's great. I I loved some of the things he said, right? Doesn't want kids to have to worry about equipment, right? Not having the proper gear for practice, for games, you know, having good jerseys. It, it's pretty damn cool, man. And I, I know that we've we've done a lot of complaining about NIL on here, right? But this is one of those name, image, and likeness feel-good stories that he was able to and, and I'm not exactly sure where the $8,000 came from, right? But he was able to give back to his high school. That's that's pretty cool. And it's something that college athletes hadn't been able to do, right? It's You remember Linderbaum, Tyler Linderbaum? He, yeah. he gave money to the Iowa Children's Hospital, like stuff like that. There's some really good NIL stories out there. And I, I wish these stories would get the attention. Yeah. Not the Jordan Addison. You know, not to Caleb Williams. Like, give give me all the feel good nil stories. Yeah, and you know, you can't you can't really put a price tag on or talk about how how big the impact is that something like this may have on on some of those kids there. And you know, there's there's a lot of talent out there. And you know, if this is a tradition that gets started, and all of the the players that come out of there start giving back. Um, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. And it shows you that he's, he's got, he's got his mind in the, in the right spot right now. He's, he's really smart. He's obviously, uh, the right type of leader that you want on the football field. And yeah, I, I think it's awesome. And I know it's, it's tough to think about kids going out there with not, don't have the proper gear and, just leveling that playing field at the high school level means a lot to some of those kids. And no, I love it. I think it's a great tradition that he started there. Yeah. Really, really cool. And like you said, I think it tells you a lot about his, his character and kind of what's important to him. And this kid, he continues to do things and say things that endear him to this fan base, right? And 
the guy hasn't played a game for Oklahoma, but he, he's starting to feel like, Hey, he's our guy. You know, it's start, it's starting to move in that direction. Now, ultimately he will be judged by how he performs on Saturdays in the fall, just like you and I were just like everyone that puts that helmet on is, but he's doing a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. All right. We got to talk about it. So Brent Venables, he's, he's talked to, talked about looking for backup quarterbacks in the portal. They got a commitment from former pit quarterback Davis Bevel last week, and now got a commitment from a guy that a lot of people view as the number one Juco quarterback in the country, general booty. Booty is a firm six, three, 200 pounds. And he led the NJCAA. I think I used that. I think I said that right in passing last season. And John David Booty is his uncle. Yeah. And it's like the best name in all of football. I, I, I listen, watching, watching Bevel's highlights and then taking a long, hard look at Booty <laughs> this weekend. I'm not sure there's much of a difference right now. Clearly Bevel's a little bigger, but Booty looked pretty damn good from what I saw. And I know it's a highlight tape, but God doesn't look like some chump set like this. Booty looked pretty strong. The highlight tape, at least, at least what I good. saw. Booty looked good. Well, here's the thing. I, it's, it's become quite apparent that, and I know that Dylan Gabriel is the starter and he's kind of the, uh, he's the outlier now in the quarterback position group. There's, there's some good height in there. Lebby likes uh, a, a tall, athletic quarterback. Um, Dylan Gabriel is, he's not tiny. Dylan Gabriel is not tiny, but he's not 6'3", 6'6". Like, there's, some, there's some big dudes that are uh, starting to show up in that quarterback room. So I think that's really interesting. And as we've seen, good arm accurate arm can move it around athletic enough, not going to kill you with his legs, but athletic enough to get outside the pocket and at least be some type of a threat with the ball in his hands, um, in a, uh, run or pass type of situation. So we'll see what happens. Um, again, it's, 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 it's getting way more competitive in most position groups. Quarterback is no different. You've got youth there. You've got transfer portal guys. Now you've got junior college transfers. So it's a good mix of good, solid talent throughout. And I'm interested to see how the backup quarterback battle goes. I can't wait for how excited we are going to be. You know, we're we're going to do an episode in August about the biggest storylines heading into training camp. And Booty's going to be on our mind, baby. Always. Always. Bevel Booty. Bowens, Evers, Rucker, Harris, the battle for QB2. And what's your gut tell you right now? When we when we have the uh the kickoff for the season, when we start this thing off, who do you think's the number two quarterback? I'm going booty. Really? Why not? It's a, listen, this is 
This is the only reason I say that, right? When you look at Bevel, right, what he did in the Peach Bowl, he's got the size. He's he's clearly played in, on a big stage. Now, how much that meant, I, I don't know. But I just like to think that the football gods are going to smile on us and all of a sudden General Booty is going to be like, we're going to start hearing that maybe he's pushing Dylan Gabriel for QB1. Like that would be just the content, Ted. Think of the content. Don't don't yeah. get all lost in the football skill and all that. I'm just I'm strictly thinking from the content perspective. So that's that's why I went with General Booty, just because it would be it'd be the most fun for me. Why do you think it ended up uh, with General Booty, not Major Booty or Colonel Sergeant Booty. Booty, Sergeant Booty? Yeah, I don't know. We think there was a conversation there, or is just they knew all along, General. I I can't wait to ask him. First time I meet him. Hey, explain the name. What's going on there? I wonder if he started as private booty and had to work his way up to general. No? I I think that's how it works. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe like when he turned 13, <laughs> he advanced to general. I don't yeah. this is gonna be so much fun for us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> The, the maturity of the radio broadcast and oh, all the TV stuff. We have to talk about this kid. Oh, I'm going to be in shambles. But it, it will certainly challenge our maturity, which we're mature. So that's why for Call Your Shot, we asked you guys for your best general booty punts. Of course we did. Because we while we do like to gather I know your opinions and your analysis with a lot of the Call Your Shots we do, we, we also like to have a little fun. I got a lot of these. We got a lot of responses. (laughs) At one point, it was at 69 responses, and I almost turned responses off. I was like, that's it. it No more. No more. (laughs) But this first one comes from at Shorty Brown on Twitter, who says, if Booty has a good, strong rocket arm, the crowd better scream, Booty blasted. (laughs) This one comes from Ben Daring on Twitter, who says, he drops back to pass. Oh man, booty just got hammered. <laughs> let's hope that. Let's hope we don't hear that one a lot, Ben. Uh, that that would not be good for the Sooners, but good. Well, T. Row is. This is his specialty. You know, he he'll he'll throw something out there whenever we least expect it. This one comes from Bad Twelve Attitude, who says, "Him calling an audible is now." Booty call at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's pretty good. Robert That's- Jones says targeting on booty or booty took it up the middle. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Heath Cribs says, I, I can hear the student section section chanting. We want booty already. <laughs> that's good let's let's hope not because that means dylan gabriel not playing very well but yeah that's pretty good Heath. this is okay i'm gonna read this one i'm gonna save the best one for last this one comes from jody manning who says if gabriel goes down during the season venables will have to tap that booty (laughs) oh wow this is This is by far the best one we got. This comes from Carson Gay on Twitter. Need a picture of Booty next to Joshua Eaton 
and Marcus Major to spell Eaton Major Booty. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's definitely going to happen. I I will do my best as the sideline guy. <laughs> I will do my best to make that picture happen. That it'll definitely happen. Eaton major booty. That is that will that will go up there with Chris Long and Fletcher Cox standing next to each other for Long Cox. <laughs> it will Eaton major booty. What wow. a perfect transition into birthday shout outs. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Happy first birthday to Matthew James Rickman. Happy sixth birthday to Kira Gupta. Happy ninth birthday to Alexander O. Happy 11th birthday to AJ Reed. Happy 31st birthday to Courtney Davis. Happy birthday to Dolores David. Happy 71st birthday to Chris Techmeyer. Happy birthday to Alicia Cardula. Cardula or Cardjala? Cardula. Okay, I believe you. Do you know that person? Maybe. I think so. Okay. Happy birthday, Maggie Bailey. All right, let's get to our man, Kyle Boone. We're talking some golf, people. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite. Yes, Java Amore. That was a good one. That's good. Nailed it. Dude, that coffee up. is fantastic. Loves all says you covered if you forget your phone charger. Phone charger. That's not a word. Phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com and use promo code TED. TED for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED, TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, here's Kyle Boone. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that writes about a little bit of everything. 
he covers it all for CBS Sports, but he is he is one of their go-tos when it comes to the sport of golf. Kyle Boone is in the house. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to a big week, big uh, big platform for Tulsa. Really, uh, really excited about it. Yeah, so you are you're a Tulsa guy. So give us give us a sense of how how excited the city of Tulsa and just everyone around Southern Hills is for this opportunity, right? That kind of, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it was, it was not something that was, that was exactly planned. And and now they've got it. And there are so many intriguing storylines going into it. Yeah, this has been, this has been a steady build for, I'd say the last month for Tulsa and and, uh, Southern Hills. I talked to the, to the PGA director over at Southern Hills, couple weeks ago and tiger flew out on his private jet for kind of a quick practice round kind of scouting the event and, and preparing ahead of uh this week and the pu- the buzz that he was talking about was was already pretty palpable uh tiger buzz just hits a little bit different in the golf world right and um so this is a this is really the the second chance that we'll see him at a major event since the masters obviously, and, and really since his, um, his big accident, uh, big car accident. So, uh, Tulsa is obviously very fired up about it. Tiger is expected to be here. Uh, the reigning PGA championship winner, Phil Mickelson has obviously withdrawn. So that takes a little bit of some spice and some zest out of this event. But, uh, overall, I, I think this is a huge week for, for obviously for Southern Hills to, to be back in, in the major championship rotation. And, but, uh, the, the course looks nice. We've got a ton of rain over in this area the past uh, couple weeks. And um, the, the course is, is, uh, is going to be a huge challenge, I think, for, for this field, for sure. Yeah, tell, tell me a little bit more about the course. And, uh, yeah, a lot of water and a lot of heat uh, usually helps those courses really start to pop and, and, and look beautiful. Um, I've never played it. I've never seen it. I've never walked it. I have no idea uh, about this course. Just kind of. Tell us a little bit about the layout. Uh, what are some of the fun holes? What are some of the challenges that it presents to the players? Just kind of a, a general overview of the course. Yeah, it's a different course than when Tiger won here back in 2007. I think that's probably the most notable difference in, in maybe if you're even slightly familiar with, with Southern Hills. Uh, they've, they've made it a little bit longer. Uh, this is not going to be like a bomber's paradise where, you know, if, if Bryson DeChambeau, for instance, decides to to come out and and just try and play driver the entire week, like you have to have some precision, you have to have some some tactical balance in terms of how you're attacking this course, and you can be penalized pretty heavily if you're just out there just trying to to whack it and and play the long game. So. Uh, this course is, is going to be pretty challenging. I think they're hoping that it plays pretty tough. You know, the, the winner at, at, uh, the Byron Nelson this week, uh, the at Byron Nelson was 26 under. So don't think we're going to see anything like that. This course is going to play really, really tough. I would imagine like the winners like 10, 12, maybe 13 under. And, uh, the conditions I think we're going to, are going to be pretty interesting too, because, it's been really hot all week here in Tulsa. Uh, this weekend is setting up to be just fabulous weather, though, like 70s, 80s, and maybe 90s. Uh, if it starts to get up in the 90s, then I think we're, we're going to see this course really firm up and really provide some challenge, some bite for, for, these, for these golfers. But um, I, I think this is absolutely going to be a really tough test regardless. Just the way that this course plays, how long it is. 
uh, if you're not completely hitting your spots. And that's why we've already seen, you know, uh, jo- uh, Justin Spieth, Jordan Thomas, uh, Tiger Woods, among others who have already came up to Tulsa to kind of scout ahead of time. They want to know what they're getting into. And uh, this is going to be, it's obviously a major championship venue. I think this course is going to be really, really tough for some of the best in the world. And and we'll see kind of the best of of the bunch kind of rise to the top here. Do you mention Tiger coming and playing that practice round? And uh, it turned into this thing about, is it an unfair advantage for him? Write the yardage book, you know, working with the Southern Hill staff, like all that stuff. Guys, he's Tiger Woods. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you just get treated better when you're the best one to ever do it. But as far as his game and like, what do you expect from him, especially compared to what we saw from him at the masters? Like how much better do you expect him to be with a a little more time removed? Like you're saying from, from the car accident. It's tough to, it's tough to know really. Um, When we saw him at the masters, he had a great first round, kind of set himself up good for the weekend, obviously made the cut and played four rounds. But if you watched the Masters, you saw that throughout the week, Tiger was favoring the leg a little more often and a little more often, a little more often. And so we're, you know, we're obviously two months removed from that. We'll see what he looks like uh, physically this week. Um and kind of the hope is just that he's able to kind of put that in his rear view. I, I think this is something he's always going to deal with. And he's talked about physically, you know, the, the, the ailments that he's been dealing with since the, since the accident, it's just going to live with him for the rest of his life. Um, but Tiger just has an advantage in experience. And I think that helped him at the masters. He made the cut against really all odds. I think that was in itself a minor miracle, um, I think he'll make the cut this week at Southern Hills. He's, he's very familiar with this course. This is obviously where he won a major championship in 2007. And the fact that he's already got his yardage book out, he's already scouted this place several times. He kind of knows the ins and outs of this course. And it's been a while, obviously, since he's, since he's won a, a tournament here in Tulsa at Southern Hills. But he's very familiar with this course. And we saw at the Masters, that experience that he has playing at Augusta national, I think paid off. He's not the longest on tour anymore. He's maybe not the best putter on tour anymore, uh, but just the old grizzled veteran, the guy who kind of knows where he's going and can pick his spots. um, I think is setting up as a, it's, it's an interesting kind of setting up almost as a dark horse entering this week. Now we don't have to spend much time on this, but just kind of a follow-up on tiger. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things about Augusta is, the the hills and it's not an easy walk I guess is what I'm saying and that took its toll as you pointed out and southern hills it's not flat by any means but how is it compared as a walking course to the masters physically it should be a little bit easier especially for tiger I mean you you talk about the hills at, at Augusta National it's kind of what they're famous for and some of the the ball locations when you're hitting it perfectly striped right in the middle of the fairway, you can have a tough lie because your ball may be on an upslope or a downslope or a side slope. That doesn't necessarily, that won't necessarily be the case at Southern Hills this week. It, it is a long course. Uh, if, if the temperatures spikes up in the eighties or nineties, it's going to be really hot. It's going to be really challenging. Uh, I but think in he's terms better of, when it's hot. It feels, yeah. it seems like he's, he stays warm and stays looser. Yeah. And he's still in good physical shape conditioning wise. He's in good shape. It's just the leg. I think that gives him some troubles and some, and some back troubles as well. 
Um, but this, this does set up to be, I think it physically should be an easier course just because it's not nearly as hilly as, as, as the masters and obviously at Augusta national. So as you're preparing, you know, to, to talk about the PGA championship, you know, write all the articles that you, you, you guys do such great golf coverage on CBS sports, who is, who's coming in hot. Right. And you, you know, when you look at who's coming in hot and then whose game matches up well with the course, who are a couple of these guys that you think that you're expecting to have some success this week? Scotty Scheffler is the first name that comes to mind. I mean, he's probably the hottest golf golfer in the game right now. He's won four of his last seven events. Um, he comes in as the betting favorite. He has said in the past that his favorite tournament and his favorite venue is Southern Hills in Tulsa, which is extremely random guy from Texas. Um, but he seems to really like the course. He's played very, very well. He keeps winning during this season has really kind of emerged as, as one of golf's brightest stars. He's the name to know um, a guy that I really like. And a guy that I'm, I'm actually taking to win this week is John Rahm, former world. Number one, Scheffler is the current world. Number one, um, but Rom is uh, is kind of the anchor. He's uh, he's he won at U.S. He won the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines last year. Um, yeah, he, he's got a he's got a major championship under his belt. He is just the most steady and consistent presence over the last few years on on the PGA Tour. And then another guy to watch, twenty five year old Colin Morikawa is uh, is one that I, that I'm keeping an eye on. He's a two time major champion. He won the PGA two years ago. Um, he also won the Open Championship last year. So. Uh, there's no shortage of, of star power this week. I think it's going to be really fascinating. I mean, I didn't even mention Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas who were in the mix this weekend at the AT&T Byron, Byron Nelson and, and could have easily taken it had not uh, KH Lee emerged late. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of star power, obviously, in golf, and all of it's going to be in Tulsa this weekend. How about the local guys? A lot of really good local players on tour and – I imagine that's somewhat of an advantage because they've probably played this course way more than, than most of the tour pros. So any local guys that you feel like could make a run at it? Yeah. I mean, as far as university wise, Victor Hovland's the guy that immediately comes to mind. He's not, he's not exactly from around here, but went to Oklahoma state, uh, a guy who's, you know, top 20 in the, in the world golf rankings has been very steady, has not gotten over the hump in terms of winning a major championship, but has been, has been very good. And one of the best European players, uh, on the PGA tour. That's, that's the one immediately comes to mind. Um, but you know, even some of the local guys like Jordan Spieth and, and Scotty Sheff or two Dallas guys, um, I think should be, should be kept in mind here. They're obviously very familiar with the area. Um, and you know, they're from Texas. I think they should be pretty familiar with this course as well. Kyle, you mentioned, you mentioned Jordan Spieth. Can, can you tell us a little more about Jordan Spieth's chances uh, this weekend, because everyone knows that Jordan Spieth is is Teddy Lehman's favorite golfer on the tour. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the human roller coaster. Jordan Spieth is in pretty good shape coming into this event. You know, he's been, you know, at one point, you know, you, you win the the Masters really earlier in career, and you kind of set yourself on a trajectory that uh, people become enamored with. You know, he's he's still only 28 years old. He's been a tour pro since what, like 2011, 2012. Um, played really well at the Byron Nelson. He continues to do that uh, kind of as a, a tune-up to, uh, to, the, to the PGA Championship. Um, he's, a, he's a guy who, when he's not in his own head, I think he is one of the best on the PGA Tour, but 
frequently, as you know, as a Jordan Spieth stand, he is frequently in his own head. So um, if he can, you know, kind of play a clean rounds this week in, in, uh, in Tulsa at Southern Hills, I think he'll be in good shape. I think that also ultimately comes down for, for Spieth. How, how is he putting? How is his short game? Because if his short game is on, if his putting is on, um, I don't care what, what he's looking like off the tee. I don't care how his irons look. Um, he, he can win this golf tournament. So um, absolutely from a you know, physical standpoint, I think one of the, the most talented, obviously, golfers on the PGA Tour. My favorite thing, well, my favorite thing in golf is watching Tiger win. My second yeah. favorite thing in golf is watching Jordan Spieth absolutely blow up and have a total <laughs> meltdown. Give me the Sunday meltdown hole. What what hole can he go out there and throw a 10 up or something just to totally take himself out of it? I mean, the answer is all of them. Um, <laughs> Jordan Spieth is, uh, is likely to blow up at any hole. Um, there's a couple par fives on this course that are really long um, that I think people are going to score high on. The eighth hole is, is a particularly challenging hole um, at, at Southern Hills. And I think it's where you'll see most of kind of the patrons kind of collect throughout this week, because there is a high possibility of carnage on the eighth. And um, so the chance of, you know, kind of blowing up and getting a double bogey or triple bogey before you make the turn, I think is, uh, is pretty high. If you're on Jordan Spieth watch this week, I think that's the hole that you probably keep an eye on. High possibility of carnage on the eight. The quote of the week right there. I love I, that. I love the sound of that. <laughs> love that. Kyle. Now, when you look at when you look at some of the betting odds, right? Scheffler and Rom, kind of the favorite, depending on where you look. And then there's kind of this group of Morikawa, Rory, JT, about 16 to 1. Then you get to your Hovland, Cantlay, Cam Smith at 20 to 1. Like Cam Smith is one of these guys that he's having a hell of a year. Uh, do you think that you think he could factor in with with the way that he's coming in playing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he outside of Scotty Scheffler, right? I I think Cameron Smith is arguably one of the best golfers, at least one of the hottest golfers on the tour right now. Cameron Smith uh, just a dynamic short game. I mean, he's long off the tee. He's exactly kind of what is, uh, what is right now being so success successful on the PGA tour. Um, you look at another guy like Joaquin Neiman, who we're looking at the same odds, 35 to one. He's one of the only golfers to win on tour this year, not named Scotty Scheffler. Um, so, the, I mean, even if you go down the list of like star power and names like Cameron Smith, Joaquin Neiman, Shane Lowry, all those guys, Decently long odds, uh, easily have a chance to compete and maybe win this week at Southern Hills. Again, that's why in golf, it feels like there's not a lot of parity, but there are so many top 20, top 25 golfers in, in terms of talent and, and physicality and, and, and star power uh, that I think you know, coming into the Southern Hills this week at Tulsa, I think is going to be really, really fascinating. How about someone well outside of that group um, that you think maybe a long shot guy that can you know, uh, find his way, you know, maybe have a, a real nice early round maintain and then close strong and have a chance down the stretch. Bryson DeChambeau at 50, 50 to one, I think is pretty interesting. He's coming off an injury. He had surgery. Um, the expectation though is, th is that he's going to try and give it a go this week. Um, obviously Bryson DeChambeau, as we know, is one of the longest on the tour. 
Um, he's famously said that you know, Augusta National, he could make into like a par 68, 69, just the way his, his game sets up. Uh, somewhat infamously now, um, but his distance off the tees, I think, is a difference maker. And at Southern Hills, I think it, it could set up to kind of be a bomber's paradise. We'll see kind of if he's precise and how fresh he looks, especially coming off the injury. But at 50 to 1, um, pretty interesting odds. Tiger Woods, obviously, down there as well. He His odds are at 50 to 1. Uh, Patrick Reed, to me, sets up as uh, a potentially interesting long shot. He is 65 to 1. Obviously, won a major championship before. Um, a guy who I think has the short game to be able to compete this week at Southern Hills. Don't, doesn't necessarily have the link that some of these other guys do, but uh, from a talent perspective, like Patrick Reed is always kind of in the mix. It feels like if he starts off hot this week, uh, could easily see him kind of thrusting himself into contention. We already know that he's been in uh, in Tulsa previously, um, just in the last few weeks, kind of scouting the course and, and getting the feel for it. So he's been preparing and um, it sets up, I think, pretty nicely for him as well. There's a, there's a lot of names here on this list, but those are just some names, I think, longer shots outside the, the tier of contenders, the favorites that uh, come to mind as interesting kind of flyers this week and heading into the week. Is is it time to start being worried about Brooks Kepka's future? Because it seems like, the, I mean, Kyle, the injuries are starting to, they're starting to yeah. pile up for Kepka. Yeah, it makes me nervous. It makes me really nervous. And, you know, there, it was almost like a year there where it's like, oh, he's got the knee thing and he's battling through the knee thing. And it's almost like an asterisk, right? Right at least he's out there competing. At least it looks like he's, he's still trying to gut it out. And, you know, now we're several years removed from that. It still feels like there's always something that's kind of ailing him. He's always playing through it. Right. I, I think infamously we saw him not this masters, but the previous masters where he had uh, knee surgery just a few weeks before he's trying to bend down to read putts and he can't even go all the way down because he can't extend his knee all the way. So, um, you know, one of the most talented guys on tour, obviously physically from a physicality standpoint, I mean, just physically very strong, uh, very long off the tee, but you know, he's won four majors. So it's hard to say, Hey, what could, what could this guy's career be? But I mean, from 2017 to like 2019, 2020, you know, he was one of the most consistent guys on the tour and has kind of slipped off. And, um, it kind of sucks. It sucks for golf. He's uh, he's obviously a very talented golfer, but uh, it does feel like the injuries are piling up there, and um, it's it's just kind of sad to see, honestly. Let's take me back to the Phil Mickelson situation. <laughs> um, I what's the future hold there? I, I mean, it's it's been uncertain. It's been it's been rocky. It's been weird, frankly. Um, thought maybe we were going to see him kind of rip the bandaid off and get back into things, but not the case. What do you expect to happen in the future? I'm not sure we'll see Phil Nicholson on the PGA tour anytime soon. Um, which is weird to say, you know, he's, he's getting up there in age, right? He's, he's over the 50 year old mark. Um, and so, you know, he won the PGA championship last year, kind of hoping that he would be able to defend his, his title this year, but, um, you know, there were some comments that he made in a upcoming book to a sports illustrated golf writer about the Saudi tour, uh, live golf and kind of the competing tour that has been emerging, um, and is set to, to get underway here soon where, you know, basically he's, he's talking about some of the horrific things that the Saudi, the Saudis have done. And, um, 
it was not a good look. It's not a good look at all. Um, you know, there's no word on, you know, whether he's suspended or whether it's a wink, wink suspension, but we haven't seen Phil Mickelson since those comments came out. He's lost several sponsors uh, since those comments came out. That book is set to release, I believe, on Thursday, which would be the first day of the PGA Championship. And um, who knows? You know, I, I think there's a chance that maybe the next time we see Phil Mickelson uh, talking to the media will be like whenever he's preparing to enter the the next Saudi uh, tournament. Like, I think that's very possible. And maybe he just rides off into the sunset and uh and just tries to cash in you know the the saudis are offering a ton of money on their competing tour um but it would be kind of directly in conflict with what pga tour officials have have said publicly in terms of allowing their pga tour golfers to play on the competing tour Uh, those who have already applied for for waivers to play in that event in that in that circuit have been denied. So if Phil ends up surfacing on that, on that tour, then, uh, then we kind of know that maybe the PGA is going to allow that. So his, his, uh, his future as a professional, at least on PGA tour appears to definitely be in doubt at this point. The, the, I get, because you're, you're right. He's getting up there and I know we won the PGA last year, but you know, this he's at the point in his career where he he's not going to be racking up a bunch of wins right on the tour, but the the reason it's such a bummer for me, Kyle, and how awkward and weird the situation has got is because I always thought he was going to be the guy that like replaced Nick Faldo, like as the you know one of the voices of golf, right? We saw the stuff he did with the match and all this, and he was incredibly entertaining. And it seemed like that's where it was heading. That Phil Mickelson was going to be part of our golf lives for forever, seemingly because he was just going to slide into the announcing game. And now this whole thing is like, we haven't seen or heard anything from Mickelson in an alarming amount of time now. So I just, I don't know. That whole aspect of it is, is really interesting. If, if he's not on good terms with the tour, I can't imagine that one of the television networks is going to say, yeah, be our lead analyst. Yeah, it, it felt like he was on kind of the, the Tom Brady trajectory, only like a much more definitive trajectory because with Tom Brady, right, he signs a 10-year deal with Fox for whenever he's going to retire from football to be a to be a football announcer. We haven't seen Tom Brady, at least in, in that forum. We've seen Phil Mickelson um, on golf broadcasts, and to your point, he's been fantastic. His comedic timing is impeccable. Uh, he obviously knows the game as a multi-time major champion. Um, the insight he brings as as a as a golfer, both you know present and past, uh, I think is that that type of insight is exactly what TV executives look for. And yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I think you know he was a slam dunk to be kind of the next media star, especially in golf, where you know outside of Faldo and and Nance and a few others, there's really not that many. And, um, yeah, I imagine eventually all of this stuff will blow over his comments that he made. Um, I think we'll eventually kind of see Phil Mickelson and kind of his career from a, from a larger perspective. Um, but yeah, there, I think there's a reason that he has not made any public statements here in the last few months. And I think he's kind of waiting for some of this stuff to die down. Um, the media hit kind of the PR hit that he took, um, in making those comments was, was obviously very significant. All right. Tell me who wins this thing. Who wins the tournament? It's John Rahm, baby. 11 yep. to 1. Um, 
you know, he's, he's already won a major before. He's always very consistent. He's always in the mix. Uh, I feel like his short game definitely translates to Southern Hills. If he's, uh, if he's able to, to hit it straight off of, off the tees, I think he'll be in good shape. He's obviously one of the best ball strikers on the tour. Um, that's, that's my gut pick at this point, John Rom. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't be surprising at all to see Scotty Scheffler get in the mix. I'm definitely rooting now for, for Jordan Spieth after Teddy has revealed his uh, <laughs> Spieth love to me. So it uh, should be, should be, it should be a great week at Southern Hills. Okay. One last one, Colin, let you get out of here, man. Yeah. You, you do, you do a ton of work on the NBA draft mm-hmm. and the lottery's on Tuesday. I am a big thunder guy. May the ping pong balls bounce in our favor, but let's say they do end up with the third, fourth. Oh, God forbid they get the fifth pick, but who are a couple of guys that you think as you've evaluated them and you think about good fits for the Oklahoma city thunder, who are a couple of guys that are, that are on that list for you? The top two that immediately come to mind, Chet Holmgren uh, from Gonzaga. He's, he's seven foot, 195 pounds, just, just a beanpole, uh, but an elite defensive prospect. I feel like he would fit just an absolute role in, in OKC. Just being able to play in the front court where they obviously need some talent and a defensive anchor, I think, long-term for, for the Thunder would be really, really interesting. Number two, I think it's Jabari Smith from Auburn. And I've seen some odds here in the last few weeks that have him as potential front runner to go number one in this draft. I don't think he's the number one pick in this draft, but you know, if the thunder slipped to number three, I think he could be an excellent consolation prize. Uh, He's he's six foot nine, six foot 10, great shooter. A guy who I think is gonna be a really good defender in the NBA. Um, And so we'll see. I, I hope, I hope the thunder gets some lottery luck it's going to be really interesting if they get to three or four, because do they take Jaden Ivy, who's maybe not the perfect fit or do they go, you know, kind of high upside swing with Paolo Bencaro If he ends up sliding, um, they need the lottery balls to kind of fall their way on, on Tuesday night. It's going to be really interesting. Ever, ever since I saw how Paolo handled uh, Martin Brundle thinking he was Patrick Mahomes. I, I like that guy a little more. <laughs> I like that guy. That was pretty, he, he handled it. Well, uh, Kyle, you're the man. Uh, I appreciate it. I'll be out there, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So hopefully I'll run into you out there I'll at Southern there. Hills, but yeah. hey, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks. Okay. Thanks fellas. We'll see you. Can't wait to see how speed does for you, Ted carnage. Number eight, baby. Uh, he's going to be within a shot of the lead on Sunday. He'll be a shot behind Tiger going into a, maybe they're in the final pairing and he's going to card a 13 on number eight. That's what's going to happen. Don't even know what the hole looks like, but that's, that's what's going to happen. I, I have never, I've never walked the course. I've never played golf at Southern Hills. I've been to a couple of weddings at the country club there. The course looks beautiful. So I'm excited. We'll I'll be out there uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I am, I'm fired up. I, I've never been to a major championship in person. I don't think it's going to be awesome. Now my theory is always that Oklahoma is the center of the sports world. Everything always has some type of significant tie to Oklahoma. Usually the biggest stories do. Something big's going to happen there. Tiger's probably going to win it. Something crazy is going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. Be ready.
be prepared on Sunday. I, I will be prepared. Yes, sir. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, it's time to get back out on the golf course, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool after mowing the lawn. Whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is coming out this month. To find a place near you that has Clubby's, visit ClubbySeltzers.com. I wonder if they'll have them at Southern Hills. I hope they they do. They better. They better. Attention, business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Yeah, you do. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers, with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest, Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business, Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Well, oddly, I had to go with Drew Brees who got axed by NBC after just one year in the booth. Now, I guess he wanted more NFL games on his schedule and whatever. But the reason I picked him as a winner is whether it's uh, color commentary or quarterbacking, if he wants to get back into it, there's a lot of people that suggest he might. This has never been a better time to be a free agent in the business on either side of it because the money being thrown around at some of these guys is absolutely ridiculous. Drew Brees, most people really like him, respect him. Uh, I know he had that one, that one issue about the, uh, I don't know, was it the, the kneeling or whatever, but. Oh, I thought I think, you were talking about the jewelry thing. You remember oh that? God. Yeah, that makes me so mad. What a waste of money, moron. But uh, he, he could stand to make a lot of money if he decides to, dip the toe back into the NFL, which a lot of people have suggested he may do. Um, I'm, I'm betting there's probably a big chunk of change there for him on that end of it. Or if he wants to go somewhere else, you know, there's been some musical chairs moving around out there in the color commentary game. Drew Brees probably going to make some big money somewhere. Yeah. And there, there may be some people, and I think there are quite a few people that didn't think he was very good in studio or very good on the call. Like he, he didn't bring a ton of personality to it. He, he really didn't analyze things the way that I thought he would. And remember it it was only for what six, seven weeks, but I was teammates with the guy. Like he, he knows football inside and out. He just, for whatever reason, he wouldn't like open up. And he was actually kind of a funny guy in the locker room. Like he wasn't this 
always serious. So that's why when I heard him calling games, I saw him doing studio stuff. It was who was he with? Who who was he on the whenever he was calling the games? Did he call some with Tariko? Is that right? Hmm. Tariko's awesome. So I was going Tariko, to yeah. I was going to suggest that maybe who he was with wasn't bringing the best out of him, but Tariko's usually fantastic. Yeah, I can't remember, but he. I think he was just a little too robotic with it. Yeah. Didn't open up enough. Like didn't didn't show enough of his personality that he's got. Mm-hmm. And the guy is a, I mean, just a tireless worker. I saw that firsthand. So, yeah, he, I he still drew Brees. Someone's yeah. someone's gonna it want could be him. a hard transition to because gosh, how long has the guy played football? Uh, you're you're basically taught or you're literally taught but you get into the habit of of just like uh almost like the one-liner coach speak and everything's good and everything's positive and it's just like you just go through the rundown right whenever you're talking to the media but if whenever you're out of it and you're done uh people want to hear you open up you know make fun of yourself some you know tell us what's going on what do you see out there what are the quarterbacks going through like it's okay to someone say someone didn't do something right and if they messed up or i don't know you you gotta i guess you gotta take a few more chances be be charles barkley it's not that hard the less you care the better you'll be right and the more you'll get paid (laughs) that's right that's right so i and once again i hope we get a unfiltered tom brady once he gets into it like that's what we all want. So, yeah, I I know that a lot of people poke fun at Drew Brees and for for his announcing style. So, we'll see where he lands. Uh, who who knows? The guy should be a coach. That's what he should be. He'd be yeah. he'd be an incredible coach. All right, who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Well, uh I had to do this because it's only happened 6 times in history. The Cincinnati Reds Worst team in baseball, by the way, uh, current record nine and 26 dead last in major league baseball. Can you say that one more time? We have this, we have this buddy that is a frequent listener of the podcast, uh, big Reds fan. So I just want to make sure you repeat this part. So I believe he listens to it typically on his walks, which he's, you know, he's trying to decompress. I don't know how this portion of it is going to work for that whole strategy, but can you repeat that one more time, Ted? Yeah, the Reds uh, dead last Major League Baseball, 9-26, and Mm. and pulled off a feat, only pulled off five previous times. It's impressive. They had a no-hitter and lost the game to the Pirates, 1-0. to How about that? No-hitter. No-hitter. Lost lost one zero pretty bad what do you what do you even say like if you're the coach if you're the manager after that game what do you even say well good job to the pitcher i guess right (laughs) Right? and i guess it was like a uh one the, the the starter didn't complete the entire game i think he threw like seven and a third and then you know uh relief came in did he pull himself out like Kershaw? 
I, I don't know what happened there, but I guess I think they Pittsburgh scored on a fielder's choice and just amazing. Only happened five other times in uh, in Major League history. So congratulations. I guess that's uh, something that they'll remember from this season. <laughs> that is that could be the best memory of the Cincinnati Reds entire season. We love you, Toby. I'm yeah, so sorry. sorry T. Rowe. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen and became the first American distillery ever to win that competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, the Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but yeah, the owners, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend. I, I thought about going, I don't know who the guy is, but the guy that removed the raccoon from the stands at the Arkansas baseball game, that was, I mean, that was impressive. Like, just grabbed it by the scruff of its neck and carried it out there like it was nothing. And, and the raccoon... Maybe the best part about it, Ted, is the raccoon's like losing it for a second. And then the raccoon just kind of ex- accepts like the raccoon could feel this dude's energy. The raccoon knew instantly, almost instantly, that this guy had no fear. No of, fear of the raccoon at all. And possibly getting the raccoon out of a situation that he desperately did not want to be in. But I'll tell you what. A cornered raccoon, no chance. That thing will tear your ass up. That guy's a professional. Hats off. I I need to know more about him. The guy or the raccoon? I need to know more about the raccoon because that was awful (laughs) docile, man. You come across one of those suckers in the wild and you've got it cornered and it's in a situation like that, you do not want any part of a raccoon. Hold on. I, I feel a layman conspiracy theory coming on. It, are you suggesting that the the raccoon may have been, I don't know, mellowed out somehow 
I don't know what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting. This whole thing is set up by this guy. Is that what you're telling me? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that a raccoon typically in a situation like that is not something that you want to just reach down and grab. I don't ever want to grab a raccoon. That is the proper mindset right there. This guy is the raccoon whisperer, I guess. He must be. I mean, he absolutely must be. So I also thought about going, if you haven't seen that video, go watch it. It is. He's just, he's just got it by yes. the neck and everyone's going crazy. And everyone also is like, dude, is that guy just good? At, like, he's so calm. Oh, that know. raccoon. I, and the raccoon just accept. you can see when the raccoon gets dejected, just like shoulder slump. It's just like, well, dang it. I guess it's just a hilarious video. But also thought about going with Memphis Grizzlies fans because I think hope is a powerful thing. Ted, and I, I know they got eliminated by the Warriors on Friday night, but Grizzlies fans have to be fired up about the future of that franchise. With Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, and those big-ass biceps of his, Dylan Brooks, um, Jaron Jackson, and like a lot of young pieces. And Dylan Brooks even said it. He said, Golden State's getting old. We're young. We're, yeah. we're going to be here every year. So I, I, I can't imagine that Grizzlies fans aren't really, really excited about the future. No, that, that's, that's a fun group to watch. I uh, still love watching Steven Adams. They got some really young, exciting pieces. Watching that game Friday night, just it reminded me, and it makes me feel good a little bit. The hatred is back for me with Steph Curry. Um, total respect to the dude. Amazing. I just can't stand to watch him play basketball. It makes me so mad. Part of it is because he's so good, but um, the hatred for Golden State is growing, which I needed. Let let the hatred fuel you. Good. Yes. Good. But my winner of the weekend, the Boston Celtics. Once again, I'm not cheered for the Celtics. Just really enjoy watching them play basketball. Just really enjoy watching them play. And, man, game seven, best two words in sports, my ass, man. That was boring. I was, I was a little disappointed. And yeah. there was not a lot of suspense in that one. Celtics pulled away from the Bucks in the second half, sent the defending champs home. 109-81. Giannis, you look at the stat line, like still insane. Well, like 25 and 20 or something like that. But he just, he looked a little fatigued to me, especially in that second half. Just missed some shots, especially near the rim that he just normally doesn't miss. And I, I think you could see Chris Middleton's absence finally catch up to them in this game. Like they're just... There wasn't another guy that the Bucs could turn to for offensive production. And, and meanwhile, the Celtics, I, uh, it's a make or miss league, right? And the Celtics hit 22 threes. They shot 55 of them. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, the Bucs, they went four of 33 from three. Ouch. Gonna be hard to win an NBA game with a stat line like that. 
which is I don't the, care who you're playing. Yeah, it's the second worst three point percentage in a playoff game ever when a team attempts 30 or more threes. So a historically bad shooting game for the Bucks, but uh, I I continue to be impressed with the Celtics and just like we all predicted that it, it wasn't Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown leading the way, although I thought both of those guys played really solid on both ends of the floor. Tatum, a couple of those fouls they called on them, I I disagreed with, and him being in foul trouble was annoying for me because he he's really fun to watch right now. But Grant Williams, he did it again. Wild. Just, just a massive game, 27 points. Hit seven threes. I think he shot like 18 of them. And was just a huge difference maker. Made things tough on Giannis. Like, used his strength on Giannis. Like, I I don't know. But I, I, I suppose we'll never know what, what would have happened if the Bucks would have had Chris Middleton, if he wouldn't have gone down with the knee. But I am fired up for an Eastern Conference Finals between Boston and Miami. That is, for the record, I like Boston, but this series, it should be awesome. I, awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I still don't know who to pick for, like, like who, who, who you would say is going to win the championship this year. I think it's as, as open as it's been in a long time, and frankly, I think that makes for a lot of fun watching it. You know, we've had the super team thing where, you know, one, one team is just totally dominant and everyone's just trying to, trying to take down the giant, not nearly as entertaining as whenever you're, you're at this point in the playoffs and you still feel like pretty much everyone has a shot at it. It's, it's entertaining stuff. Okay. For my loser of the weekend and remind you, Currently, as we're recording this, it is 8.45 p.m. Central Time. The end, it's, it's the end of the third quarter in the Mavericks-Suns game. I want you to venture a guess at what the score is. I've got it on the TV right in front of me. I've been watching it a little bit. Everyone said, oh, Phoenix at home, right? End of the third quarter. End of the third quarter. Now, I've been keeping pace with this. You've made some comments throughout the, the podcast whenever we've been off. I'm going to say the score is 95 to 65. You're pretty damn close on the Dallas side of things. End of okay. the third quarter. Dallas has 92 points. All right. Luka Doncic has 35 points. He's 6 of 11 from 3. The Phoenix Suns, remember, the number one team in the league. Best team in the league. It's not even up for debate throughout the regular season. 50. Woo. They are down 42 at home through 3. I would, pardon me. I was like, maybe we should pause it. We can watch the fourth quarter because I want it to be in my winners and losers. Nope. I think we're good here. Dead. I, I think the, I think the Mavs can hold on to the 42 point lead in the fourth. <laughs> They're going to double them up. I bet they double them up. Chris wow. Paul 
has three points. Woo. He's only taken five shots. He's got three points. I. What? What? I That's mean, wild. Phoenix can't hit a shot. They're four or 20 from three, but at home. I there there there's no doubt the Phoenix Suns are the loser of the weekend. But I've got another one teed up because oh my gosh. What it what a stunningly embarrassing performance by them. Oh my. I mean, yeah. all things considered, I I had my concerns. Right? You're in a one game scenario and the other team's got Luka Doncic. Not great, right? If you're a Phoenix Sun player or a fan, but the game's not even competitive. Not only is it not competitive, they're down 42 right now. <laughs> and they haven't been competitive since the very beginning of it. Like they were down 20, 20 something in the first period, right? Hey, first, period, first quarter. Sorry. Hey, 10 minutes to go. Oh, never mind. They're down 42 again. <laughs> They'd cut it to 40. Okay. That's enough about the the Suns. The Suns lost and they got destroyed. So oh. the Chris Paul slander is coming. Someone check on Ryan Rosillo. I love that guy's podcast, but man, this is actually this is good for him. Everyone in the world is going to tune in to what he says about this game, including me. Can't wait. But I thought about going with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Remember, it's Leafs, not Leaves. Little hockey talk here, Ted. Okay. They lost two to one in game seven against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think Tampa Bay's back back champs, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. Maple Leafs are now 0-9 in elimination games over the last five playoffs. Wow. <laughs> they have not won a playoff series since 2004. And if they're 0-9. In elimination games over the over the last five play, that means that they've had s- some closeout games, several of them. <laughs> wow, um, yeah, woo. tough tough time to be a, a fan of the old Maple Leafs. But my my loser of the weekend, and it pains me to say it, but we we got to call it how we see it. Well, you softball. Lost the Big 12 tournament final to Oklahoma State, four to three in eight innings. A a very entertaining game, right? When Jocelyn Allo hit that home run, I was fired up. But kind of a kind of a painful loss, right? For Patty Gasso's group. Uh, first time OU has not been the regular season and tourney champs since 2012. And you lose it to your in-state rival. Not great. Can't imagine that was very fun for the coaches or the players. And just the way that you know, the winning run comes on a bases loaded walk. And I know that Nicole May, right? She was, she, she had gotten the two outs with the bases loaded, but I mean, a 4 0 walk for the game winning run just can't sit well with anyone. But I, I will say this you've got to give Kenny Gajewski and his team credit. That guy has done a fantastic job at Oklahoma State with that program, and I thought they executed well in some situations, some small ball situations, maybe 
Oh, you made some mistakes in, in those situations as well. Thought Morgan day was really good in the circle for him, especially late. And they deserve to win the game. It's weird to say that because they were playing Oklahoma, but Oklahoma state, they, they made plays when they had to be made. Nope. There's no doubt about it. Um, usually that you see in games like that where Oklahoma just, they tend to jump all over people, put pressure on them. And that's what it looked like was going to happen. The second time through the lineup, they started getting the bat on the ball, starting to apply some pressure. Oklahoma state started making some, some fielding mistakes out there, errors like easy throwing errors and stuff like that. And you thought, okay, the dam's about to break, but credit Oklahoma state. They battled, they hung in there. They uh, really put the pressure on the pitching late for, for Oklahoma. And, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, Jordy Ball obviously did not pitch, but that's not an excuse because there's nobody that would have said that with the rest of the, um, you know, rest of the staff that they wouldn't be able to get this done. You you would still expect that they'd be able to get it done with Nicole May and and trout wine. So it was really a shocker. Yeah. So got it. Got to give Oklahoma state their credit, but also got to criticize ESPN. What the hell guys? Wow. We can't lose the feed during the most dramatic part of the game. Was it, was it right when they went to extra innings? Just gone. Poof. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily could turn our man plank on, but I want to watch it. I want to see it with my eyes. We had we had a bunch of people over. Uh, whole family was here. Some people from the neighborhood were here, and we're all just like crowded around uh, the TV outside, TV inside. And then it's like, what happened? <laughs> Total meltdown at the house. And not only ESPN. Come on, guys. Let's let's get it together. But the Big Twelve. What what's going on with this whole Big Twelve Champion State, right? That that's confusing. It's confusing to a lot of people. So, it's why why isn't it the exact same as the way it is in Big Twelve basketball, right? Oh, OU they they are the Big Twelve champs, right? They won the regular season title. That makes them the Big Twelve champs. Oklahoma State they're the Big Twelve tournament champs. You can't you can't have two people calling themselves Big Twelve champs. Just it's not how it works. Well, the weird thing is, the same scenario can happen in football. And did it? I think it did happen with Oklahoma State this last year, right? No. Well, oh, I see what you're saying, but you know the because Big 12. you play everyone, right? That's the difference. So you play everyone and you know, already know who the champion is, but then you play also play the championship game, which I know it's not a tournament, but it's kind of the same thing. And I don't know. You're right though. In everything else, it is, there's a difference between the two. And and both are important, right? Oklahoma state winning the big 12 tournament, that's a huge deal. What it's like the first time since 1995 that they, I think they won the league outright that year. It was like 1992, 
something like that last time they won the oh that been the big eight tournament yeah. so it's been it's a big deal for Kenny Gajewski in that program but you can't be having two groups saying we're big 12 champs no. but we got to figure this out yeah I don't know here's the thing whenever they beat you in that that situation you really you don't have much of a say in what they do you had your opportunity with that, it that's why I'm not mad at Oklahoma State or right. their fans calling themselves Big 12 champs. This is this is what the Big 12, right? If you look at the Big 12 Twitter, that's how that's the phrasing they're using. Right. So as huh. opposed to the SEC, I was watching the SEC one because ESPN flipped over to it during extra Arkansas. innings. Yeah, we all saw that. <laughs> and it was the SEC tournament champions. So come on, Big 12, let's Let's figure this out. Uh, I know Here's we're not here question, for that though. much longer, but come on, man. Do you sense any trouble? I do. I, I'm concerned about Jordy Ball. I, for whatever, I think, and Nicole May's been battling that that injury. She she just doesn't have the pop that she had last year. And Trout Wine, she's... She's she's really good some days. She's very hittable some days. Jordy Ball, in my opinion, is the difference between a healthy Jordy Ball is the difference between them winning a national title and them not. I don't know what and I agree with that. I'll also add that it's good, and I don't know what the statistics say, but I feel like offensively, they're not as dominant as they were a year ago on the offensive side. It it feels that way to me as well, but then again, we could be completely wrong. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what – that's what I'm saying. I don't know what the stats say, but it feels like – it feels like just as you go through, like the lineup is not as potent. It's still great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I still, they're the number one seed and that's totally justified. Um, it just seems like not a slump, but just not as much pop maybe as they had this time a year ago. Could be wrong on that. Yeah. They'll host the Norman regional Prairie view A&M Minnesota and Texas A&M will be coming to Norman for that. Maybe we can ask Patty. This was about the time we had Patty on last year, right? Uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think that right, is right. right before the regional kicked off, I will send some text messages. See what we can right. get done. Good deal. Look at us complaining. They get the number one overall seed. They went what? 48 and two. Scott's complaining, but here's the thing. I, I can relate to this. I was on a team that was undefeated during the regular season, right? Undefeated lose the big 12 championship. And at the time, it's like the same thing before that game. Is this the greatest college football team ever is like what they're talking about on sports center and ESPN and right on cue, lose the big 12 championship. Okay. No harm, no foul, a slip up still in the national championship, lose that game to what I consider to be, a not a very good LSU team should have killed that squad, but 
it's a frustration of mine that I still think about to this day, but there, I feel like there's a lot of similarities there. Jason White wasn't exactly healthy either. I know, just like Jordy Ball. You're scaring, you're scaring OU fans right now, man. You know that, right? Well, if we know about it before it happens, we can keep the train from derailing, Gabe. That's a good point. That's a good point. One last thing about that, about uh, the Big 12 championship game in softball. Mahomes tweeting Grace Lines. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. That was pretty cool. There you go. Big That's time. That's cool. That's cool. Real recognize real. A lot of people cool. watching. A lot of people watching. Popular. All right. On that note, episode 214 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.